discipline is like electricity. So you can have the best equipment in your house, like TV, refrigerator, PC, but uh, without electricity, nothing of that will work. And the same is, I think, with discipline. So you can have the best ideas, the best resources, the best books. You can buy yourself the best like training equipment or anything, but without discipline, all just will, will not work. Hi and welcome, it's Ranchix and you're listening to my podcast where I explore the topics around what it takes to become a great poker player with various interesting people from in and around the poker industry. If you're enjoying the podcast, you might be interested to sign up to my weekly newsletter where I deliver my key takeaways and ideas from each latest episode. Today, I'm talking to Leszek Badurovic, the author of The Mental Edge, who's also a PLO player and overall a very nice guy. We talk about the importance of discipline, routines, goal setting, different approaches to studying poker, maintaining your motivation, and so much more. Enjoy! All right, Leszek, listen, I have so many things actually to ask you because I went through, what do you call it, the contents of your book, Mm -hmm. the index of your book, so many great topics, so it's going to be going to be a wealth of information here how about we start before we dive into your book how about we start with you and maybe you can tell us a bit about what's going on now uh, and maybe your journey so far okay so hello everybody Uh, my name is Leszek Badurovic and thanks for the invitation to the podcast I'm from Poland. I'm uh, 35 years old and I've been playing poker for about 10 years now. However, I have never been playing like exclusively only poker. I was always combining being a player with being a teacher, being mental game trainer, mental game coach. And that's why in the past I have been working with basically every poker site available in Poland. I've recorded I think like 300, maybe more mental game videos or podcasts. And I worked also, I'm still working with uh, Rantwans as a coach. And um, at some point, I think it was uh, late 2016, I, I decided to gather most of my experience and put it into book, The Mental Edge. And um, right now I'm at the moment that I decided to focus more on the poker career. So since last year, I'm not taking like any more people for individual coachings or anything. I decided to focus my efforts, my time and my energy to see how much I can achieve in in poker. So I'm playing Potlimit Omaha. I'm uh, playing anything from Zoom 500 up to PLO 10K, if there's a good table. All right. Why did you decide to concentrate just on poker? You know, at some point I was, I think I was quite good at poker, but definitely far from being very good or excellent. I was at similar level, I think, when it comes to like mental game uh, stuff. So I realized that... uh, In order to be really successful, to really excel at one of those fields, 
I have to make a choice and I have to decide to um, focus all my time, all my resources just on one field. Because at some point, it's basically impossible to combine poker career with a coaching career like at very high level. And I decided that uh, it would be easier to go with poker career first. Because if I would go with a mental game coach career first, then it will be very hard to come back to poker because the game is developing so fast. The level of players is increasing that after 10 years, let's say, there's no way to be back to the game. Whereas even after some time, I can still go back to the coaching because uh, psychology doesn't change so drastically and so dynamically as poker. And also, I think even people who are a bit older with more life experience and work experience can be even like better coaches right especially in the mental game aspect you know because yes i mean considering that you went through 10 years of career you've learned so many things you've experienced so many things in your own career that you basically you talk in your book you 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 talk from your experience you know of course also a lot of theory but you know this this theory is tested tested out on yourself yeah i think there's one more thing that I may add is that at the very beginning of my poker career, I um, started from very low, let's call this mental game level. So I was still thinking a lot. <laughs> I even uh, had this episode of like um, a very dramatic tilt where I like lost uh, half of my bankroll, you know, was, uh, you know, shouting was very angry and so on. And uh, because of that, uh, I had a very long journey to come from like very low mental game level to the level that I perceive as as uh, pretty high. It really cost me a lot of like energy, effort, a lot of coachings that I was taking myself, a lot of professional training, studies, books, and so on. And because of that, I can really very well like feel some players who struggle with tough mental game issues because uh, I struggled with most of them myself <laughs> in, mm. in the past. I, I'm not the guy who's like, you know, already like at a very like um, super rational, you know, very uh, with very cold, uh, you know, head, not feeling, uh, you know, much emotions. No, I was starting with completely, completely different level. And I'm quite proud that I managed to, uh, get to the point where uh, it's like almost impossible for for me to tilt. Or it's like super mm-hmm. rare and and like not really affecting the game that much. Right. I'm actually interested in the story. You know, the story that you've mentioned of you losing half of your bankroll. What period are we talking about? Did it happen in a few days' time, or how how did it go? Uh, it was uh, 2010, and. Uh, Actually, the, the, the story should start a bit earlier because at my university, I was really interested in trading. So I went for some uh, professional trading courses and I started trading at uh, Forex Market. And actually, it appeared that, that the courses that I finished were, were really good. So they were providing with the strategy that at that period of, of the markets was uh, very successful. However, um, 
I um, lost like 80% of, of uh, my bankroll. And after one year, I decided to um, quit trading. And the reason was that um, I was losing with myself, with the, with the emotions. I didn't manage to stick to the strategy and the real emotions that, that, that came when it comes to the real market were, were like uh, too overwhelming. For example, the the guy who was teaching us uh, the, the strategy said something like, you should be making about two trades per week. So it gives about, uh, let's say, 100 trades per year. And after one year, I checked my account and I ma- made about 1,000 trades. So it's 10 times more than I should. So, so it's wow. very clear that I didn't stick to the, to the, to the correct strategy. Uh, later on, I, I tried poker. At, at the very beginning, I had some, you know, small successes. You know, I won some small tournaments. I started winning with my my friends in some local home games, and I started playing online. And at some point, I remember that, that I had a streak of eighteen winning sessions in a row, and that was two thousand ten. So that was ten, um, 10 years um, ago, and. It was 19 session that I finished like minus one dollar, and that was peel of 50. So it's like it's nothing. It's two big blinds, okay. Mm. And I thought, oh, no, 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 I cannot finish the session with minus one dollar. I'm so attached to to this, you know, uh, thought of having every session and that like with a profit that I need to continue until I will um, I will turn the profit. And uh, I didn't turn the profit. I. <laughs> Uh, I um, I was playing till four in the morning, and I had to wake up at seven to work. I lost like one third of my bankroll, and then when I came back from work, I lost like another twenty percent or something. So in total, it was like I lost half of my bankroll with uh, within less than twenty four hours, and that was very painful experience and experience that taught me a lot. And after that, I said, okay, it's enough. Uh, I stop, you know, it's either I take it serious or um, I will not succeed in poker or trading because it doesn't matter what kind of field I will start to to be learning. I will not succeed if I will not be able to control my emotions and be, be disciplined. So at, at that time, I, I decided to focus um, a lot of my attention on learning how to manage my emotions, um, a lot of psychological trainings and so on. And that brought me to, to the place uh, where I am today. <laughs> wow, what a story. I mean, <laughs> I can only imagine 18 winning sessions, you lose $1 and you basically monkey it off in a, in a course of one day. It's crazy. And the, the truth is, it's not a unique story. I mean, probably the majority of poker players had an experience like this at some point, you know, in a, in a harder or a lesser, you know, form. But um, yeah, because I recently recorded a video which is called uh, Moving Up the Stakes. And in fact, it is telling like a fictional story along the same lines, you know, along the same lines that you've experienced. And uh, it's, you know, it's probably a testament to your um, approach and mentality that that experience pushed you to make a decision, okay, I'm not 
doing it right. I must, you know, improve. I must work on my game because if I don't, I will never achieve anything. It's a great way to look at it. I think so many people, after losing half of their bankroll, they probably lose, you know, another half. So 25% more in the next day because of ego because of all other things you know so it's good to hear that that experience was a trigger for you to become more professional in your approach yeah uh, sometimes the, this kind of like bad experience uh, you can uh, you can turn it into into something good if you mm-hmm. draw um, proper conclusions from that and put effort put uh, your hard work into into changing that into positive experience right did you have after this experience after losing half of your bankroll in one day did you have other episodes like this i suppose not losing half of it but like going on a monkey tilt um still after that because i don't believe that anybody can just you know switch immediately from day one Mm -hmm. to day two right so maybe tell me about a bit uh about how this progress happened so let's call this that in a scale from one to ten that was still let's call this nine and a half or ten okay mm-hmm. right <laughs> I, I remain some some the rest of self-control but but it was basically let's say nine and a half so it never happened nine and a half again but let's say half a year later it happened like eight then let's say half year later, seven, you know. So I had some episodes of some more serious tilt later on, uh, especially like one, two years later on. But it was always like one level lower, one level lower. And I think, let's say three, four years later, it went to level like two or three and and never crossed that, uh, that boundary uh, again. And Right now, I think, I don't know, I, I haven't crossed like 1.5 <laughs> for, mm. let, let's say, last two or three years for sure. Right, right. And I think it's so important that we mention this, right? Because I believe, you know, in general, in our society nowadays, so many people are looking for like the top three tips to do whatever, you know, top three tips to get rid of tilt forever. The reality is it took you several years to reach a level where you're consistently good at managing your emotions. And it's not only about like from my own experience, right? And maybe your experience is different, but I think you probably have the same road in in a way that it's not just one thing. It's the combination of all the things, you know, being process oriented, being consistent with your approach how professionally you approach the game how you manage your time how you manage your bankroll because if all the check boxes are ticked the emotions don't really get there right you don't play a spontaneous session where you're just like oh i'm kind of bored i'm gonna play a bit and then see what happens you always have a process in place and that process helps you with managing whatever happens Yes, uh, I, I totally agree. Um, a lot of especially micro stakes, small stakes players, they're looking for uh, this like golden rule, one of the key tip, you know, and th- there, there's like the most important tip is that there is no tip, that there is just, uh, um, there is a series of, of the series of steps that, that you need to do. There are a couple of different 
um, competences, skills that, that you need to gain. And there is a lot of work that you need to put if, if you are starting from pretty low level in order to uh, work on your mental game and uh, start controlling your emotions in a, in a proper way. So I definitely agree that, that there's no like one tip and, and you, need mm. to, uh, you need to combine uh, a lot of different areas. Exactly. And also like, because from one perspective, there is no tip. From another perspective, there are things that work. Some mm-hmm. things work for me, some things work don't work for me, you know, and everybody is individual. So there's always some sort of individual approach based on your personality, et cetera, et cetera. But there are guiding principles, right? And the reality is there's so much information out there, right? If you're motivated to improve your mental game, man, there's lots of books, you know, not all of them are strictly poker related, right? But there's a lot of information out there for sports psychology, et cetera, et cetera. There are coaches, there's, there's everything is there for you. And yet a lot of people don't take this step because a lot of people don't see that the mental game is hugely important until they, until they lose half of their bankroll like you did, right? Because before that happens, there is no urgency for it, right? You don't see the direct correlation. You know, so many people just focus on, okay, how do I learn the ranges? How do I memorize the ranges? How do, you know, I uh, start understanding how to play this spot better? How do I work with solvers, et cetera, et cetera? That's all great, you know? But let's face it, if you're going to have 19 winning sessions, 18 winning sessions, everything is going to be just fine. As soon as you hit that one session that puts you in the tilt, I mean, you basically ruined probably more than a month's work in just one day by just going on a monkey tilt. Yeah, exactly. Uh, looking from perspective also, like gain a really important experience. So, so I'm, I'm really happy that it happened at, oh, yeah. at that, specific, uh, that specific moment. But mm. I totally agree that, that a lot of people, they don't put enough stress to the, uh, to the mental game and this way, they are basically uh, leaking money out of their pocket. Mm. And especially, like you said, it's good that it happened at that stage, right? You were playing PLO 50. <laughs> Imagine if that happens PLO 5K. I mean, and it happens. I mean, some people just run good for a long stretch. They move up the stakes pretty quickly and uh, they don't develop the good habits along the way, right? Unless they hire a coach that's going to be with them there and guide them through and catch them before they, you know, jump off the cliff accidentally by just doing something stupid, you know, unless they have these things in in place, you know, a lot of people hurt themselves by, you know, not being strong enough in in their mental game. And I think it was uh, Barry Greenstein who, who said, show me a poker player who hasn't been broke yet, and I'll show you a poker player who has a lot to learn. (laughs) And it's true. I mean, again, it comes to not having the urgency, not having the need to recognize that, hey, there's more to this. It's really, really, really important. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So, okay. Anyway, so you improved your own mental game you worked on it purposefully 
And then you decided to coach other people. How did this transition happen? How did you think, mm, I would like to share my experience with others and I would like to make, to make videos on, on the subject? I think it was uh, because I started like um, writing um, about uh, about mental game on a poker forum at that time it was poker strategy like Polish uh, branch and uh, even though I still like having fixed um, a lot of uh, mental game leaks at that point probably there was nobody who was like more competent than me so they offered me a, a job to be a, a mental game coach. And I would say that at the very beginning, I probably um, didn't have like enough um, very, let's call this, um, like, um, you know, sophisticated uh, knowledge. Uh, I didn't have so many like very powerful uh, techniques in my arsenal it was more about just approach game philosophy and um, and uh, sharing my experience and my ideas you know on, on on solving some mental game issues but with time i was participating in more and more uh, psychological trainings i started uh, sports uh, sports psychology um, uh, studies and I kept improving, and uh, I think that my um, my insight um, about the the mental game, my knowledge started becoming better and uh, and better. So at some point, I felt like more competent to start working with other sides, start working with with uh, people, and so on and so on. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And how this idea of um, writing a book, how did that come about? You've mentioned in the beginning that basically you you had a lot of material already that you developed for for the videos and for your coaching sessions, but still undertaking a, a task like writing and pu publishing a book that's that's a big thing. How did that happen? Um, yeah, especially in 2014, 16, I. I, I put a lot of stress to the mental game. At that time, I finished sports psychology um, uh, studies and I worked with a couple of different sites and, and, and companies. I started being Grant One's coach. And um, at that point, I, I gathered really a lot of um, powerful techniques that uh, I believe um, haven't been mentioned in any other poker uh, books. So I tried to read everything that was out there. And my idea was that um, I don't want to repeat anything that has been already written. There is no point in doing that. But uh, I realized that, uh, you know, for example, The Poker Mindset is a very good book about the basic uh, poker philosophy, about building the, the, the right approach to, to game philosophy. Then there was a uh, mental game of poker, which is uh, a very good book in terms of um, finding the, your reasons, why are you tilting, uh, understanding the, the tilt better and, and how to deal with, with tilt better. But I realized that there is no book about like how to be more organized, more disciplined, more professional. Uh, I remember that uh, Dusty Schmidt, Lederas tried to mm -hmm. write something uh, like this uh, many years ago, treat your poker like a business, but that was like super basic level. And that was, that was basically a couple of like his ideas on, on the topic. But 
nobody really gathered like all main like psychological techniques, tools, or uh, the result of the most important psychological research in terms of organization, planning, and discipline, and put it into like poker perspective with application in the in the poker world. So I decided that I can be a person who can do that. And uh, I've been writing book for uh, three months. And then there was one, one month of some, let's say, small corrections and something. So it took me about uh, four months. And uh, I was barely doing anything else at that time. So it was mm. the time that I spent almost entirely on the book. All right. And did you have uh, people helping you? Like, you know, some... Because usually in, in the process of writing a book, as far as I know, I mean, I haven't written a book uh, yet, at least, but, uh, you know, you would have like an editor, a publisher kind of person who would guide you in a, in a way like you should include this, you shouldn't include this, uh, you should edit this. Was there such a person or you basically came up with this book completely on your own? Um, it depends in, in which uh, aspect of the book we are talking about. In terms of content, uh, when the book was half written, I sent it to a couple of poker players uh, mm -hmm. for feedback. And actually, I, I received um, already very good feedback, but also kind of few tips and guidelines on things that, that uh, can be improved, which really helped me in the process of, of writing and editing uh, the book. And whenever I was in doubt, I had contact to quite a few professors of uh, psychology and I was like consulting them in a in few aspects where I, I wasn't really sure about something because, for example, there are contradictory psychological research and, and you cannot be 100% sure if it's this way or another. And uh, also, uh, when it comes to publishing and editing, uh, there was a, a guy like, let's say, he used to be a poker player and he was like a now businessman. And we, we talked that uh, we can publish the book together and he will take care about the printing, you know, editing, finding people who will... Uh, you know, edit that, uh, make a you know book cover and everything, and so so that I don't have to waste my time and energy on that. Mm -hmm. Interesting. All right, but well, let's talk about the book, right? It's six big sections, right? You have time management, goal setting, discipline and habits, mindset, professional approach, and working on your game, right? These are the six pillars that you chose for your book. Um, let's discuss some of these things because these are the things that I usually talk about as well. And I, I, I work on those things a lot with my students. Um, and it's so important. These topics are so important. You wrote the book in 2016, right? Mm -hmm. What's the tr transition now? Like right now, this is 2020 already. Four years have passed. How? many of the ideas that you've expressed have crystallized even more how many ideas have evolved maybe let's talk about that first mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> it, it it reminded me um a quote that i, I heard uh, about students of, of medicine that on the first day uh, they hear something like you know within um, next 10 years 
half of the things that you learned during the university will no longer be valid. There will be like new new data coming. Right. But the problem is that we don't know which half, so we have to learn everything. <laughs> and uh, fortunately, with uh, psychology is is um, less complicated, and there are like fewer new things um, coming on. I think all the f- uh, first five chapters would stay uh, exactly the same. I'll make some very small maybe improvements to to some sections but let's say over 90% of first five chapters would stay the same um since 2016 i've been working with a couple of high stakes uh, guys so now i have much more insight when it comes to working on your game so maybe i would i would change a bit the the last section about working on your game still the ideas that are um, included there are valuable. However, uh, I think that, that, that now with new tools like Peel and Monker Solver, there is there is a need to to even expand on that topic and include some tools that will help people to work better with uh, those programs. Mm-hmm. I want to actually talk a bit about. And we're going to get back into discussing some of the topics in more detail, right? I think mm-hmm. it's really worth doing that. Uh, but let's first take like a big picture view on you worked with some of the high stakes players out there and you worked with uh, people who are kind of starting out uh, in poker uh, or at least are in the beginning of their career. What is the biggest difference that you see? <laughs> Uh, it might be surprising for you and I think for a lot of listeners, but from my perspective, very often working with high stakes players, it's much, much easier than working with micro or, or low stakes players. Sometimes I'm even like, you know, it's so common like in, in poker world, but I think in any any other like field that you got like references from like, the most well-known guy, the highest stakes players, but in reality, it's not that difficult to work with them. It's much, much harder to work with low stakes players. And this is because each problem you can basically solve on two levels, practical one and psychological ones. So let's say we are talking about uh, somebody who wants to improve their volume. So on a practical level, you can say, Okay, for example, you can set some fixed hours. So let's say you're always playing between uh, 5 to 10. Okay, You can let know your friends and your family that you are playing with these hours and you can make only one exception every two two weeks. Okay, And these are, you know, practical advices that for like high-stakes players will be, okay, I'm applying this and the topic is over. But if you if you will be working with low stakes players, micro stakes players, I can guarantee you hundred percent that it will not work. And and this is not not because they don't want to or they are less intelligent or that, that they can be at the same level of like you know intelligence and they can be even very often they can be even smarter people in 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 many ways than, than high stakes players. But there's something you know uh, else. 
very often people who get to the high stakes level, they are already, their mindset, it's, let's say, in a very good condition in their, their overall mental game in terms of like life effectiveness, productivity. They usually have very few uh, internal conflicts and self-sabotages. And most of the society, so let's say 99% of the society, will have much more internal conflicts, self-sabotages, and so on. So what happens with like low-stakes players, micro-stakes players, is actually what happens with most of the society. So they don't only, not only do they need like practical tips, but they also need psychological uh, solutions to their problems. So on psychological level, maybe they are not playing volume because of some other reasons. And I can give you a couple of examples of players I worked with exactly on this issue. So for example, there was one player, um, heads up player, and he actually suffered, uh, you know, um, with uh, putting a lot of volume. And we talked about setting fixed hours and so on, and it didn't work because he perceived any sort of plans, any sort of discipline as a limitation to his freedom. So we had to work on the way how he perceives his freedom, his uh, limitation, and we had to find a balance in uh, order to set some sort of plan, but not to strict so that he will not, you know, feel limited, but at the same time, he will be doing more than he's doing now and so on. So, so there's, this work is much tougher than just, you know, some practical tips. Another example might be, I, I was also working with a player who really had a huge problem with putting volume. I mean, his volume was very low and that was very smart, very intelligent, sensitive, very nice guy very talented player who could be like one of the top in his field. But he was like putting, let's say, 12 hours per week. So that's very little. And the problem was that the game caused for him a lot of stress. And the game caused him a lot of uh, stress because he lacked confidence in the game. And he lacked confidence in the game because he wasn't sure what is the best solution. And you can see that we never know what is the best solution. And for him, it was it was causing lack of confidence and lack of confidence was causing stress. So not playing was a way to, to deal with the stress. So as you can see, if you are working with players who are not, uh, who are having some internal conflicts and self-sabotages, and most of people will have some, then it's much tougher. It's actually much tougher way. And with high stakes players, usually it's just, uh, you are working mostly on the practical level, mm. but I'm not surprised to be honest. You know, you 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 said that I might be surprised to hear. Uh, that is also my experience from working with the high stakes guys and uh, low stakes guys, and I think you know the reasons are like you said that the high stakes guys already are in a pretty good uh, place in in their mental game. You know, so they are looking for solutions. They are looking for practical advice. And having to kind of fix bigger underlying problems is usually not not the issue there. Yeah, very interesting topic. I wanna I wanna stay with the topic a bit because um, yeah, if we think about volume, right? 
another aspect there which I see a lot of people are suffering with, um, and, and you made this example of uh, of this guy who was unsure about his decisions, right? So he that caused anxiety, that caused stress. Very often, people have this approach of why well, I don't want to say perfectionism, but sort of, you know, that you kind of only start doing something when you're really ready. The reality is you're never ready, especially when it comes to poker. The game keeps evolving. It's not static. You might spend like half a year preparing for the game and then start playing your first session. Well, I mean, in that half a year, the game already, you know, changed so much. I think the high stakes players in general, at least the people that I worked with, they are more happy to just go out there and know that, okay, I'm making mistakes. I'm not 100% sure about these decisions, et cetera, et cetera, but I'm going to do it anyway, right? And I'm going to improve away from the tables. I'm going to work on my game, but I'm not going to wait till this magical moment when I'm all of a sudden a perfect player because that's never going to come. Yes, exactly. There are much more players uh, with a problem of perfectionism at mid-stakes level than at high-stakes level. A lot of high-stakes players, they just have a strong belief in themselves that I don't know how to do that, but I will deal with that. And even though I make a mistake, I can like learn from this mistake. And next time I can just be better and I can figure out something during the game. Whereas um, a lot of mystics players who, who suffer with perfectionism, they, they have this problem of, uh, I need to be perfectly ready. I need to know everything. I need to know all the solutions. And there's a lot of like different reasons. I, I don't want to like talk about general level, but very often it, the problem is that they don't um, have a well-defined uh, confidence. So when you ask them about what does it mean to be confident for you, they will come with the definition that is basically um, impossible to to like put into practice. So let's say they will very often say something like, I feel confident when uh, all my decisions are good or perfect and I always know what I'm doing. That's actually can never happen. So like the definition that they have is causing them like the definition uh, will for sure make them suffer. So we need to work on the basic level on, on changing the idea of confidence and changing their definition of confidence to something that is more more healthy and more uh, beneficial for for them. Mm-hmm. Right. If you had to choose you know, what are the absolutely like the foundational things that everybody needs? Would you have a list of things that, you know, that are absolutely a must work on for people who, especially for people who are starting out in poker or are sort of stagnating in um, like low stakes environment? Mm-hmm. I think I would name like three, four main things, and uh, three of them are actually things that I'm talking a lot in the in the book. So uh, that's uh, this growth mindset, and I'm pretty sure that you're familiar with the uh, the, the concept. And yeah. 
discipline, uh, professionalism, and tilt control. So that would be like uh, four main um, ideas. I think like everything starts with the starts with the uh, growth mindset. There is a great book of of Carol Dweck uh, mindset. If, if somebody wants to dig deeper into that topic, I once I listened to the podcast of Joe Ingram with this MTT guy Alex Fox, and I think. If somebody wants uh, wants to a perfect example of somebody who is like hundred percent growth mindset, uh, just just listen to to this guy. It's like a perfect example of a, of a guy who is like just wants to learn from m- m- mistakes, just want to be getting uh, better. And very often the the problem is that people with uh, fixed mindset. And that's also like a low mistakes, like I would say disease, <laughs> low mistakes, mm. illness. And very often the underlying reasons for that is that there were people who were praised of being intelligent when they were when they were in school. So very often their parents will say something like this: "You know what? You are you are very smart because you didn't even study and you got A or you got five, depending on <laughs> if mm. you're US or something." in Europe, what's uh, the message that, that the real message that the child will get is that I'm only smart if I'm not putting effort and I'm, I'm achieving a, a good result. And actually, this is like pretty, uh, something that's pretty common. And a lot of poker players are very intelligent people. So it's very safe to assume that uh, most of us were like the best or one of the best students in our classes in primary school, high school, or at university. And very often we could probably be getting very good marks without uh, much studying or with with less studying than, than some less talented people. And if somebody will point that out to us it's actually very bad because then we we learn that without effort we can like go through life and 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 we don't have to like really put this effort and especially people with like some sports background and alex was uh, also a guy who uh, was practicing american football and he had to like uh, he said something that he, he had to like wake up very early and putting a lot of effort in the trainings uh, practicing very hard, so so that's something you know completely different, and and that that helps um, people to uh, have this like growth mindset mentality. I think if somebody w- wants to like uh, really know how pure growth mindset looks into practice, just just listen to this guy. I mean, it's just great example of of uh, growth mindset. Mm-hmm. Right, and. You've mentioned managing your tilt, right? As one of the four things that are super important. What do you think? How how should people approach it? Uh, so I think um, getting to to Jared Tendler book, uh, Mental Game of Poker. It's like um, number. Uh, it's like step number one. It's increasing your awareness. What type of tilt you are suffering, and and what are the reasons? What is the like underlying reasons for that tilt? However, um, uh, awareness. It's not always fixing the issue. You can be aware that uh, you have a bad side, but it doesn't make you <laughs> have a better side. <laughs> 
So then, then, then you need to do something with that. And actually, you have three types of approaches to, to working with Tilt, which can be work on your game philosophy, preparation or intervention. And preparation is something that you do before the session. I'm like a huge fan of that. Then intervention is something that you do during the session. Actually, not a big fan of that because during the session, very often you have a lot of things going on. You have a lot of tables and you don't have that much time to uh, think about like, you know, breathing exercises or, or something. I'm not really big fan here. And the game philosophy is like changing your beliefs and your way of thinking about the game to more healthy and to the way that it will not cause tilt. Because if you like believe that, let's say, you cannot get five bad beats in a row, uh, it's very short way to, to, you know, to start tilting when it happens. However, if you don't have that belief, then it's, it's you know, more, uh, more healthy. So you can find uh, different kind of situations that are triggering, that are causing the, the tilt for you. And uh, you can try to go deeper and think what exactly in the situation caused me the tilt. And then you can think what is like underlying game philosophy behind that and try to uh, change it into a more healthy one. It's actually not that easy to do to uh, find it by, by yourself if somebody doesn't have a very high uh, self-awareness. I think that books like, like Poker Mindset or Mental Game of Poker can, can really help in that aspects or working with uh, with some good mental game culture i think all of those solutions can can be uh, really helpful yeah and as with any improvement you know books and all the material as you said if somebody has good self-assessment uh it's a perfect thing right getting a coach is usually a, a more of a shortcut you know a proven way of actually achieving the desired result at least you know especially in the mental game department uh, are you following phil galfon challenge at all uh yes 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 i do all right let's talk about that a bit because you know what the the way i see it and let me just describe you know the things that i've been seeing in this challenge they sort of hit a lot of the principles that you were talking about you know tilt control growth mindset being professional you know all of these things they really stand out in this challenge because especially like if we think about the length of the challenges and all the pressures of the challenges etc cetera, etc cetera, there are so many things in terms of mental game that are going on here right and i've been commentating the challenge on the run at once channel i've been making some videos on my own youtube channel about the whole thing so naturally you know a lot of people reached out to me with their opinions with their questions about what's going on in the challenge and it really seems like a lot of people are trying to well i don't want to say simplify things but um you know they're really happy to just put labels on what's going on what i mean is just a lot of people are pretty happy to say no phil is outclassed phil is Phil sucks, basically. That's the bottom line. Like, Vinny is crushing. I mean, obviously, there's a camp of people who, who think, oh, he's a GTO bot. He's using, you know, some software real-time and some other bullshit like this, all the conspiracy theories and just all the ridiculous stuff. But 
you know, the other camp is basically saying that, well, Phil is just so bad compared to Veni Vidi that this is just ridiculous, et cetera, et cetera. If we step back from all of that, the reality is they only play 10,000 hands, right? Obviously, Veni came in the challenge better prepared. So especially in the beginning of the challenge, obviously he had a bit of an edge, at least a bit of an edge, right? But we can't measure the edge from 10,000 hands, right? Underestimating the importance of variance is, is a huge thing that guides a lot of people into big trouble, you know, because the thing you've mentioned that you're not entitled to win, you know, your flips. So many people basically go on tilt when they lose three flips in a row and it's just like, oh, it's so unfair, this shouldn't happen, uh, et cetera, et cetera. The reality is it's going to happen. It's going to happen some of the time. It's not going to happen too often, just statistically, but things are going to happen, right? The question is, how do we cope with these things? So when people are talking about how bad Phil is, I'm thinking to myself, guys, you're missing the point here. As a professional poker player, you should see how great Phil is because the way he handles the things that are happening, I don't know of many other people who would be able to handle it in the same way. And the reality is in poker, you're going to lose sometimes. You're going to have stretches of losing, etc., etc. The question is, is it going to trigger you losing half of your bankroll like it happened to you some 10 years ago? Or are you just going to be seeing it as part of, part of business and let's just learn from our mistakes, have the growth mindset, be professional, stick to our process, make good decisions, evaluate how we play and just take it from there. And these are all the behaviors that Phil is actually displaying publicly. And somehow that is just unnoticed and people just keep concentrating on he's getting crushed. He's just probably, he, he's losing like a hundred big blinds or whatever per, per hundred. Mm -hmm. And uh, what is the like question here? Or That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> I made a pause because I'm thinking, <laughs> what is the question? It's, the, it's not really a question. It's just, you know, I think with what Phil is doing, because it's so public and because there was nothing really on that level before, right? Because their challenge, it was nothing like that. You know, they didn't have the stipulations that you have to play five days a week. If you don't play, you are paying penalties, etc., etc. This is probably the first time when the contest of poker is actually a contest of poker, which brings in all of the aspects of what it takes to be a poker player. It's not only about making decisions. You know, we're, people are talking about Venny having the edge. Okay, what if he was running bad? How would he handle these things? Would he still play his A game all the time? Because reality is nobody is capable of playing A game five days a week. Mm -hmm. Every week right? Things are bound to happen. You're not going to be fully focused. You, you lacked sleep. Something happened there. You know, as a professional, your goal is to elim eliminate these distractions, right? To be able to have the routine that is helping you with, with being as productive as you can be. But that's part of business. That's part of what it is to be a poker player. 
instead of this romantic idea of you know if you're really smart if you really know how to play your ranges in the three bet pot you know then you're a winning player there's more to it you know there's so many quote unquote winning players who go on a monkey tilt you know, once a year and they lose you know half the bankroll or something ridiculous like that and it basically costs them a full year of work yeah, there's a lot of different aspects here to to actually discuss. So definitely, uh, that's super exciting thing. This this uh, Galphon challenge. I think that's the biggest thing in thing in online poker since uh, Black Friday, basically. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of excitement uh, here. Actually, this challenge requires from both players a lot of professionalism. So it would be involved in the challenge. I would think, okay. So I need to plan my, uh, let's say, meal delivery. I need to plan my my sport. I need to plan my day. I need to find the people who will be like helping me with analysis and and uh, have a good sleep habits. And uh, I will have a, the best uh, supplements available uh, there to to have a better focus and so on. So I'll organize everything so that I can be in my uh, best shape everything like uh, around me and I think that that challenge really um, uh, requires that and from the other side there's a lot of like mental game pressure involved because it's so public and uh, especially for Phil because for Veni it's just his nickname and for Phil it's his name his face his reputation his companies so naturally, he it it should be much tougher for him to handle handle losses than than for Veni, and I agree that that he's doing it like with uh, with a lot of class, I would say, and 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 he's uh, handling that very very professionally. It also reminded me about topic of. Um, very important mental game techniques called visualization. So this is a, a technique also used in, in sports that can be applied very well here to this kind of challenge. So for example, in, in football, you can um, use visualizations to relax and imagine yourself how will you handle a situation where you like missed 100% chance and uh, you have to deal with that. You have to come back to, to focus and really play your best for the rest of the match. And I think here the same thing can be applied. So all poker world is watching you. And what happens if you lose a couple of big hands in a row? What happens if you make a big mistake? What happens if you make a bad, very bad call down or very bad bluff? You have to be prepared mentally for that in advance. So when it happens, you are ready and you are not thinking in a moment how to, how to deal with that. But your brain has already uh, shaped some form of um, way of, of, of dealing that. Right. Right. Because, of course, you know, as a visualization, as a technique, it's a cheaper way to gain that experience. 
you know, instead of gaining it actually from first having it happen and then exactly having to figure it out uh, along the way. Yeah. So let's get back to your own journey right now. You're trying to focus fully on poker. So how does your day look like? Um, as probably most of poker players, I'm uh, waking up quite late. So it's more like 10, 10.30. However, probably a lot of players waking up uh, even uh, later. Uh, during first um, uh, part of the day, I'm mostly working on my game, working in Monker, doing different kinds of analysis, going through different kind of pillow material. I try to have some time where I'll either go to the gym or go for a long, like one hour walk. And I usually start a session about uh, 6.30 or 7 p.m. and then play like till 11 or, or midnight. In between, I'm spending some time with my wife. We either talk, go for a walk or uh, watching some uh, serials and go to sleep. It's uh, very important during the day to have meals very, very well planned. Um, right now I'm using meal delivery company. So I have all meals delivered to me like in the morning. So I don't have to worry about this during the day. Yeah, I, I think that like that, that, that these are the main points of my day. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So it's interesting that you choose to work on your game when you wake up and where you're the freshest um, and then focus on on playing in the evening. For me, it's quite the opposite. I usually prefer to start the day with the games and then because I just feel more productive uh, first half of the day, mm-hmm. which obviously sucks because of my time zone. So many times I have to miss out on the games, but, uh, you know, and this is actually, you know, a thing that you can probably give me some practical advice on because you've mentioned that you had to step away from all the other commitments that you had, all the coaching, uh, or at least, you know, the the bulk of it to focus on your own game. For me, I was actually struggling with this thing recently myself, right? Because I piled up so many commitments in my life with, you know, some business commitments, which have nothing to do with poker. And uh, of course, you know, being a head coach for Love the Spot, having the students, having the podcast, just doing a lot of work. And at some point I, I came to a realization. So what's my identity really? Who am I? Am I a content producer for YouTube? Not really. That's not what I aspire to do. I like to do it. I like to share uh, my ideas and share my conversations with people like yourself, uh, with the public. But that's not something that I, you know, aspire to be. And so I came to my realization, well, listen, I'm a, I'm a poker player. I want to be a poker player. I want to keep being a poker player. But then if I look at my day, I had to realize, is it really a day of a poker player? You know, considering how many hours could I put in um, in poker, especially like the beginning of this year in January, because of course, you know, January was pretty difficult for me in terms of I was moving to a new place. 
So a lot of relocation, setting up the office, a lot of administrative stuff, et cetera, et cetera. So poker sort of got pushed onto like number five on the list of things to do. And well, recently I managed to basically rearrange everything in a way that, again, I'm putting in long hours, long sessions, and just being basically present every time there's a game, I'm there, I'm available. So that's something that happened in in my own life recently. Um, What's your idea about trying to combine different things with being a poker player? Because of course, you've been there, you've done it, and you decided to step away from everything else to focus on poker only. What's your opinion on actually doing more things? Yeah, it's... um... It's it's complicated because there there are a lot of things like a lot of different topics topics involved here. So from the point of view of pure like poker effectiveness, probably it's it's the best just to focus on poker. But uh, very often it's it's not that simple because we are human beings and poker career lasts uh, can last many years. As I told you, I'm been playing already for 10 years and within the 10 years you can have other needs so besides the need of of playing poker you can have other needs like for example for me it's like teaching uh, sharing uh, the knowledge like having a feeling that i have a positive impact on on uh, some other people it cannot be always bought by money so um, <laughs> So for some people who are focused only on the money, it's probably much easier to all career focus only on poker. But if you have some, if you feel like you have some other potentials, other talents that that you would like to be uh, pursuing, then it's become becomes much more complicated. And very often it may be actually very good to have something else besides the poker because then you will satisfy other needs besides poker and this way you can like be more happy more satisfied and more productive as a poker player and also very often i think most of players are anyway at least a bit you know results oriented or quite a bit or very results-oriented. And for results-oriented people, if all your life is poker and you're on the downswing and you're losing, you can feel like, okay, my whole life sucks. Because it's true, if you you only think about results and your results are very bad, then you can see, you can say to yourself, okay, everything for me, it's going very bad. So if you have some other things besides poker, some other commitments, some other activities, you can then say, okay, but not everything is going bad because even, even, even though I'm on the downswing, my business that I'm starting to grow is going well. Okay, my YouTube channel is, you know, people are really happy with, with the content I'm making and, uh, you know, my book is good. You know, you can have some other things that, can give you the feeling of some small successes, some some small wins, and it might be much easier to 
handle like tougher times. Mm. Very interesting. Yeah, because it brings up to my mind something that, you know, because I remember my journey with battling tilt, right? Because of course, I've also been playing over 10 years now, probably like 13 years or so professionally. And, you know, in my journey at one point, I realized that poker, if I treat it as work, then it's work. When the laptop is off or the computer is off, the work stays there. You know, because I remember episodes where, you know, I would play the whole day and then I had a dinner scheduled with friends. I would go for dinner and I would feel miserable throughout the whole evening because I would be still dwelling on, ah, it was a super bad day. You know, this happened, that happened. What's the point of going to that dinner? You're not present. You're not enjoying it. You're not actually refreshing yourself for the next day. You're not, you know, you're not really having a life. So I remember that episode specifically because for me, that was like a key point at which I realized, okay, you know what? This doesn't work. I need to start making sure that I leave the work at work and I don't bring this baggage um, elsewhere, right? And it kind of ties in with what you were saying that, you know, if things are going bad in poker, if poker is your life, then basically things are going bad in your life. To me, early on already, before I started doing any other things on the side, early on already, I, I made this sort of decision, but, you know, this transition in treating it completely as as work and, you know, shit happens at work, fine. My life is still fine because I, I, I'm not defined by my work. And I think that's really important for a lot of people to make this distinction. You know, because I see it over and over again with a lot of people, they basically don't switch off. And whatever happens in poker spills into the rest of the life, you know. And for people who are in a relationship, you know, very often those bad things from poker spill over to how you spend time with uh, with your wife, with your girlfriend. And that's really unhealthy. Mm-hmm. This also like reminds me about interesting discovery that, that I made. So for many years, I believe that the best poker players are those who treat poker like their main passion. They're obsessed about the poker. They are not really that much about the money and they focus more like on just being the best, you know, competition and so on. But with poor experience and getting to know more players from different level, like lower level, mid-level, the highest level, I realized that it's probably not true. And a lot of like the very best players are actually treating poker very like professionally, like typically like a business. And uh, this helps them to, as you uh, said, like to, to, to leave work at work and to have more, keep more uh, work-life balance, but also to be less emotionally attached to to different kind of like bad events, you know, as downswings. And I think be more professional in general. I think if you 
like the, the, the negative thing about treating poker as a passion can be that if you are running really bad, you can say, oh my God, I love poker so much. This is my, you know, this is the biggest passion of my life. And what are you doing to me? <laughs> what right, are you doing right. to me? You're hurting, you're hurting me. And if you treat this professional, you can think, okay, maybe I I will switch and I play on different side. Maybe I get a coaching. Maybe I try to get to lower stakes. Or maybe I should just uh, keep going and everything will will come back to to you know to the right direction. And uh, you are not you know <laughs> complaining uh, that much and so on. So. I thought in the past that, that treating poker as a passion, of course, it, it has a lot of merits, has a lot of benefits, but it, I thought that it has only benefits. And right now, I'm not so sure. I, I think there are also negative sides to, to treating poker only like a passion. As I said, there is a lot of benefits to that, but there are also some negative sides, and it's good mm. to be aware of all of that. Yeah, I, I agree with you, especially if we talk about treating poker as only the passion. That mm-hmm. is very dangerous, right? Because you can be very passionate about poker and yet still be a professional first and foremost, right? Um, I mean, it's it's just a beautiful combination when you know you have a profession which you truly, truly enjoy. Um, that's great, you know. But if the only thing that drives you is this passion, you know, there's there's a lot of you know dangers along the way. And also coming back to, you know, this this thing that we just discussed, what came to my mind is when you talked about, you know, your experience with uh, losing 50% of your bankroll, the trigger was that $1 loss on day 19, right? It's such an ego thing because a lot of people attach their ego to their results so when you face that $1 loss after 18 sessions of profit, it somehow becomes personal. And that is so dangerous. Whenever poker becomes personal, that you think your results define who you are, it's just such a slippery slope. Mm, yes, yes, I, I totally agreed. It was, it was even more than that. It wasn't only ego. It was a lot also about uh, perfectionists that, that I've been working on for many, many years. Uh, I think I, I got much better in this, in this uh, area because it was more about my results have to look perfect. And when it's everything, it's in green in Holder Manager, it looks perfect. Everything is in green. And one red mark will like destroy this perfect image. So I need to keep this perfect image and I need to keep playing to have everything in green. Mm. So uh, yeah. it, it was, uh, it was, it was a, a lot uh, about that. And uh, mm. it also comes down to defining what is the good session uh, for you. I think on the, some very basic level, at some point you need to answer yourself on this question. What does it mean for you that the session is good. And very often for, for many players who suffer some mental game issues, the good session is very often related only or mostly with positive uh, result. And that's actually a pretty bad uh, definition. Uh, of course, good session can be like a little bit like, let's say, 15% dependent on a, on a result. But 
the majority of, of uh, your definition of good session should be factors that you can fully control, like uh, the level, the quality of the decisions you are making, the level of your mental game, the level of your focus, how you are uh, selecting tables, managing the, the, the whole sessions, taking breaks and, and so on and so on. This can be like the main factors. Of course, it can be like a little small thing that the, the cherry on top that, you know, it feels better when it's ended with a profit, but, you know, it, it cannot be like the main factor. Mm. Yeah, and it's definitely really dangerous when people have it as the main factor or even like a big contributing factor. And it's not only dangerous long term, it's really dangerous short term as well, because if that's the approach somebody has, that the result matters, or let's say the green graph matters, right? Uh, the example that you mentioned before, if that's the case, these people usually play shorter sessions when they're up because they're afraid to ruin this perfect image of the green graph, right? Especially if the graph is really green, you know, they just want two, three flips in a row and it looks like, oh, this is going to be a great day. All of a sudden, making this great day into like an average day really hurts. And people just quit because, okay, well, you know, let's just keep this graph because somehow the graph is important, right? It shouldn't be. It really shouldn't be. But it is. And, you know, that's, that's what happens a lot. And that's why also a lot of people who focus on the results and, you know, let's just put it in a simple terms, the green graph or the red graph. The problem with hoping for always a green graph is that when you are in the red, you don't really care if it's a bit in the red or a lot in the red. And that's how those losing 50% of your bankroll or things like this, that's how it happens. Yes, exactly. I was doing like similar experiment at many lectures that, that I was conducting. So I was asking the audience, let's say 100 people there, um, very few, let's say, poker players at the audience. And I was asking them, okay, imagine you have a drawing kind of like lottery and you can choose between taking immediately $75 profit or having a drawing where you have 75% probability of winning $100 and 25% probability of winning nothing. And like 90% of people go for $75. And then I ask opposite question. Okay, so imagine you can take guaranteed $75 loss or you have a drawing where you have 25% chances that you will get even or 75% chances that you will be minus $100. And now every people, over 90% of people, they pick a drawing. So now, now they want to take their chances and get even. And this is so much connected with emotional approach to results and attaching pain and pleasure. Because if we end a session with a profit, it's a pleasure. But the pleasure of winning $75 and $100 it's almost the same. It doesn't feel that much different if you, if you win a little bit more or less. However, if you end the session break-even, it feels bad because you could already like guarantee yourself a profit. On the other hand, if you are losing, whether you lost 75 or $100, it feels almost the same. It feels bad. It's, it's a pain. However, if you had an even small chance of being even, 
then uh, getting even from a situation when you are losing feels very well. It's it, it's it's a pleasure. <laughs> it's it's mm. a, the opposite of pain. That's why people are choosing very often to quit prematurely winning sessions and continue uh, very long with with the sessions that, that they are losing. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Do you actually suffer with these things? yourself still to this day no no this this problem i can say i can i have eliminated 100 percent. so usually i'm i base the length of my session either or on the predetermined schedule or how tired or focused i am or uh, it can be i can be a bit flexible if there is like especially good table so i can stay a bit longer even if i'm not super focused okay this is so good game that you know i can sacrifice a bit (laughs) of ev because this table is so good that i'm making you know even with like b minus game i'm still like making a solid profit so i can you know stay a bit longer but it doesn't matter like that much if i'm losing or 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 winning right Cool. Let's talk a bit about goal setting. You have a full chapter on goal setting in your book. Goal setting in poker is a specific thing, right? Because you can't really set results-oriented goals because you can't control the results, right? So what are your suggestions for goal setting for people out there? So basically... In, we can uh, take a lot here from sports psychology. So in sports psychology, you have two types of goals. So we have performance goals and outcome goals. So outcome goals in, in the poker language will be those goals related with with the outcome, with the results. So I want to win WSOP bracelet this year. I want to be top 10 uh, GPI uh, um, rating. I want to win uh, $200,000 uh, this year and so on. These are not bad like goals, but the thing is that each outcome goal has to be followed with at least four to three to five uh, performance goals, which are totally dependent on us. So goals based on uh, how, how you get there. It's not it's not about only where you want to uh, get the where do you want to get but also how you want to get there so for example by doing more sports by sleeping better by uh, having better diet by working better on your uh, game by hiring some coaches and so on and so on by putting so much volume so in reality, like maybe let's start with with another concept first. It will be will be a bit easier. So, in general, we have like two types of motivation. People usually divide motivation into external and internal, but we can also divide motivation into motivation of outcome motivation and motivation also like performance type of motivation. So there have so also um, outcome time of motivation is the motivation where you are motivated only by the outcomes by by results by money by winning by being number 1 and performance type of motivation is when you are motivated more by improving by getting your skills to higher level by let's say improving your mindset improving your game by working in some programs and so on 
these are two completely different types of motivations. And the research has shown that most of the best like sportsmen, they have a perfect like balance, more or less 50-50 between those two types of motivation. Like Cristiano Ronaldo could be a perfect example. So from one side, he's a guy who always talks about winning, about winning titles, about winning individual titles. However, from another perspective, also he's working very hard and he's talking a lot about improving, getting better every day, improving his skills. So he have a, he has a perfect mix of both types of motivation. And actually, it's also a bit dangerous to be focused only on this uh, performance goals. So only to have a type of motivation related with uh, like, you know, getting better. It's also okay to have a little bit of motivation related with just winning title, with winning specific amount of money. It cannot be like your only motivation, then it's very bad. But it's okay if you have, let's say, goal of winning $200,000 this year, and then you add like five, six smaller goals that are totally dependent on you. Because then at the end of the year, even if you will not achieve it, if you win, let's say 150, but you realize all other goals, you can say, okay, this goal has been achieved 75%, but all other goals has been achieved 100%. So it's been very good year. And also this monetary goals, they don't have to be treated like uh, I want to get there and let's say if I get there after three months, I'm not playing all the year. It's more about like, you know, kind of like intention, a kind of like something uh, that that you are going to get, but it doesn't have to limitate you. So th- there are definitely ways of of setting like uh, outcome goals in a in a in a very good way. But with setting goals, the the, the most interesting things is that as a for poker players, setting goals is actually in general quite easy. Because uh, setting goals, it's very difficult. Planning, it's very difficult in business. Where you have like um, dozens of different projects and you need to meetings, negotiations, uh, you have, you know, marketing, sales, distribution, everything. And you need to coordinate all of that projects. And then planning becomes very difficult and complex. In poker, it's quite easy. So... Tools are not that important and tools are usually not the thing that are stopping people from planning. And also, <laughs> I hope I hope you'll understand me well that the planning itself doesn't bring us as many benefits as putting yourself in a state of mind when you are planning. Because when you are planning... You are thinking in long-term perspective. You are thinking more about what will be beneficial to you in one year, two year, five years perspective. So let's say when you have this long-term perspective, I'm pretty sure that you will be looking in different way about your health, about your eating habits, about working on your game, about some, some of your daily habits. So putting yourself in this state of mind helps to organize the day around the, 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 the right habits, put the right things in your day. And that's like the, the main benefit of planning, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. It definitely is 
really useful as an exercise, you know, because at least you're getting some direction, at least you know what you're working towards. What do you think? Because like, I just thought about the fact that maybe the goal setting changes as you achieve more in in poker. Because let me give you an example, right? Because you were talking about you know, setting like a 200,000 uh, profit for the year as your goal. And I totally see how, you know, for a mid-stakes player, for example, that's, that's a good and healthy goal, right? That's something that you are working towards. That's a specific goal in mind. But I recently had a podcast with MMA Sherdog, who's, of course, you know, one of the top players in, in uh, Hold'em. And he has a similar approach to me in a way that we don't set a monetary goal, right? But the reason, for example, the reason I don't set a monetary goal is that I don't feel that it is a productive one for me because apart from not being able to control the results, I also can't control the games, the availability of the games, right? Because for example, the simplest example would be, right? We're recording this on a Tuesday and uh, on Saturday and Sunday, especially on Sunday, I managed to play... 1,000 hands at uh, 10K PLO, right? In one day. And this is year 2020. This never happens. Like it so rarely happens that you actually manage to put in 1,000 hands at the highest stakes, right? The reality is I don't know how available the games are going to be. And let's face it, in those at those stakes, the swings are huge, right? I mean, if your goal is winning 200,000 a year, well, maybe you just win it in one day. And that's the problem with the goal setting. When you reach a specific uh, point in your career, the monetary goal setting, there are so many more factors that are absolutely out of your control, right? When I was doing the Supernova Elite year, uh, having a monetary goal was a super good thing to have, right? Because first of all, you're aiming at a specific win rate and also you're aiming at the rakeback deal, et cetera, et cetera. So you, at least you know what you're working towards and you know why you're actually working the super long days uh, for the whole year. Yeah, you, you reminded me about a couple of interesting concepts. So I totally agree that uh, like this monetary goals can be especially useful for like micro, low and mid-stakes players. I think high stakes is a, a bit of different world. Because as you as you said, on high stakes level, you cannot control the game's availability. You don't know how many hands you will play, like at PLO, let's say 10K this year, it may be like 15, 20,000 hands. And so the swings and the variance will have so big impact on your results. Then, then setting monetary goals in, in this uh, like area doesn't make uh, that much sense and, and you can like exchange it for like uh, other goals but for many i would say up to zoom 500 players or mid-stakes players i think it will make more sense because they have more control over uh, the results throughout the whole year especially if they are making like a lot of volume if you know that somebody will play let's say uh, 600k hands during a year at Zoom 500, he has much more control over more or less what kind of results he can expect. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree on that point. You know, because of course, in, at those stakes, the games are there, right? So if you put in, uh, if you're disciplined enough to have your stable routines, if you 
are working on all the other aspects of what it takes to be a professional poker player, those goals are achievable and those goals are motivating for a lot of people. And there's another aspect with setting goals, which I think also changes once you reach a specific level, right? Because very often, you know, with some people, a lot of my students actually, they they come into uh, our program, the Coaching for Profit program, with aspiration to become a high stakes player, right? Which is a great goal. And I, I like when people get into it with, with a goal like this in mind. The thing is, once you reach a specific level, then what? Right? We have to be careful with um, being flexible with how we adjust to you know, our identity of who we are you know, and where we're trying to get to. Because again, an example for, for, from my experience is I never really had aspirations to become one of the best players in the world, right? That was never a driving factor for me. And I sort of never had this goal of, I must be at the very, very top. But then the closer I got to the top, then the more enticing it became, right? I sort of figured, well, how about I become even better? How about I become even better and even better? And once I reached the top, which basically means there are no higher uh, stakes games online running than the games that I'm already playing. I'm already sitting and controlling the tables. Sort of, you lack this goal of we can go even higher, right? And it wasn't a problem for me at all because it was not why I did it in the first place. But I saw so many of... Well, so many. I saw some people that I know uh, on a personal basis that also achieved great success in their poker games, whatever the game is, and then sort of hit this part where so you don't have a motivation, a driving factor anymore because you achieved everything that you set out to do and they don't have other motivation to push them forward. I suppose it doesn't happen for somebody who's playing a mid-stakes because if their aspiration is, you know, to to reach a certain level, but could it ever be a problem for somebody who's only motivated by some sort of challenge? Cuz an example that comes to mind, right, is Tyson Fury. I don't know if you follow boxing at all, but you know, this example... Not much lately. No yeah, <laughs> yeah, because the, the example comes to my mind just because, you know, the this amazing fight was just two days ago and uh, it was an incredible fight. But what comes to mind is when he beat, beat Klitschko, right, he had the aspiration to be the best. Klitschko was the lineal champion of the world, right? So he beat the champ. He became the lineal champion, which was something that he always aspired to do. And we all know what happened after, right? He basically went on this crazy coke-driven party lifestyle, which almost got him killed because he tried to commit suicide, right? And it's a very sort of dramatic example of what can happen. But it's something to think about, you know, because for some people who are really only driven by a specific achievement goal, in mind and 
there's nothing else. Like they're so they sort of almost like have blinders on of that's the you know the final destination where I'm going. Once you reach the final destination and there's nothing else, it's a dangerous place to be. Yeah, you're definitely right. Like with the motivation, this is like the one of the very few topics that like is so individual because on most of the other things like the mental game approach, being professional, results-oriented, discipline, planning, we can talk on some general levels and we can pick some rules that in general will work for all people or at least most of people like most of the concepts will work in a similar way but motivation is one of the few things that people are so different you know that it's so hard to like get into into the mind of why we are like you know doing things that that that, that we are doing yeah it's a, it's, a, it's a pretty complex topic and and um, yeah <laughs> Right. Well, let's switch to another topic. Let's think about a theoretical example of a person coming in to become a professional poker player. They're not a professional poker player yet, which means, you know, they might still have a job or they just recently quit a job. They already know how to play poker. So that's not the issue. doesn't mean that they play it good, but, you know, at least they're not like completely new to the game. They already put in some volume, so they know that that's something they enjoy and they are happy to play long hours. This idea of being a professional poker player, I think there are so many different opinions uh, what people have when they start out, what it's going to look like, right? There's no consensus on what it's, what it's going to look like. What would you say to to a person who's, let's say they're coming in and they say, I want to be a cash game PLO player. Could you give them like a little story of how it's going to look like? What is going to be their life if they actually pursue this? Uh, right now, probably I would say it's not worth to start. <laughs> really? That bad? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you have to always like uh, consider like career, given career, in comparison to others. I think, uh, let's say, right now it might be better to become programmist or IT guy and um, you can probably earn uh, similar money or a bit less, but uh, with a perspective that you will be making you know, very good money for the rest of your life. Whereas in, in poker, we cannot be you know, so sure about that. And uh, definitely, um, what, what, what I would say, it's I'll try to show all image with all advantages and disadvantages. First of all, I think poker is a great tool of self-development. And I think it's so... It's... Uh, I think there's not enough content on like YouTube or like business professional uh, trainings that uses this this enough i think poker can be amazing tool of of um, of personal development much better than most of the other tools that are available in the market because unlike other things poker is like a speaker for our mental game for our character so if you are struggle with basically anything 
let's say, with losing, with winning, with making mistakes, it will, like, poker will reveal that. And it will bring the situation to you sooner or on later and will test your personality on this situation. And poker will show you, like, on a, on a trade, here it is something that you struggle with. This is something that you need to work on in order like to improve your personality. Whereas in other fields, even like in business, you can have like successful businessmen who is like, you know, who, who didn't uh, manage to control his emotions for most of his career. And he became like top CEO of some company. Whereas in poker, it's basically impossible. So it's definitely a great way for people who love improving, who love uh, improving their, their, their character, fighting with like their, their weaknesses and becoming better. I think I would, I would, I would start with that. Yeah. And also it's like hundred meter run at Olympics. That's, uh, you know, it's like a, a limited it's a place where not everybody is, is is winning definitely like let's say 10% of poker players are winning players and then like 1% maybe it's winning like a really 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 good money so you have to like from the very beginning be aware that you cannot be like average you cannot do the same things that average people do just you know watching some random videos or reading some random books and putting not that much effort from yourself. You have to do much more than that in order to get to this top 1% of, of players. If you're not ready to do that, maybe it's better to just pursue other career. But if you are, then maybe poker, it's a, it's a good, good, mm. uh, good career to start. Right. <laughs> I think it's an important point that you mentioned. And I want to later get back and focus to what you said about that maybe it's not worth getting into it right but we'll address it later first i want to you know talk about this thing that you've just mentioned that it's not easy basically it's not easy if you think that it's just going to be a breeze and you're going to start playing poker you read a book or two and uh, you know you, you get an advice from a couple people and you're going to be crushing that's not the case but the reality is it's not the case with anything like if we think about golfers right kind of a easy example of oh you know what the top professionals they earn millions and they are super rich and they have all the sponsorship deals from nike and whatever right yeah but that's again it's like one percent of golfers and the rest are barely struggling to make any money and in reality you know they would be probably better off financially by just doing something else, just having a proper career. We're always drawn to the big success stories. Like if you think about soccer or any other sport, you always think about, you know, in soccer, that's going to be Ronaldo, Messi, you know, any of those guys. And you think, oh, this is possible. You can achieve it. Yeah, it is. But, you know, it's like not even 1%. It's 0.1%. And that actually achieve these heights. And plus, you know, how many of those successful people are successful only on the front, you know, only sort of from outside, but in reality, their, their life is really 
unbalanced and they're basically broke before they uh, become 40, you know, that happens all the time. But yeah, the thing about maybe it's not worth it, let's focus on that a bit because to me, some important things that you've said there is that first of all, that maybe like 10% of people are actually making money in poker from all the poker players. It's probably close to true. That's actually a reason for getting into poker in a way, because there's 90% of people who are losing money, right? So there's plenty of people who are losing money and that money is for you to take. But only if you realize that it's going to be hard work. You're going to have to basically outwork 90% of the people out there. So if you're not willing to take it super seriously, then yeah, then it's probably not worth it. It's much easier to make a stable job by being whatever. Even if it's a programmer, yes, you're going to have to study a lot, et cetera, et cetera. Even if you're an accountant, if you're a lawyer or or anything, you don't have these extra pressures. You don't have the some insecurity from financial perspective long-term, you know, and all of these things. But at the same time, if somebody is a hardworking, highly motivated, driven person, I think poker is a great field to get into still, still to this day. And also the thing that you've described that, you know, with poker, if you treat it as a tool that's going to mold you personally and, you know, help you sort of become stronger in terms of um, your mental game, which applies to everything in life, really. You know, it's a great tool. It's a great field to be in. Yeah, exactly. It's it's uh, what you said. If you are willing to be like very competitive and outwork other people, you can consider this kind of field because let's like have some abstract example of like picking fruits, like picking strawberries, okay? Right. <laughs> Let's say by picking strawberries, you make $500 per month, okay? So if you are the best of picking strawberries in the world, you are much faster, having better technique and everything, maybe you will make like 1500 There is no way that, that you will like make more, okay? <laughs> but if you are like, uh, so like um, even like big edges here transfer into bigger profit, but not that bigger profit if you are like a salesman in the the big like a shop if you are like the best salesman maybe you will get like 10 percent bonus in comparison with other in in uh, let's say in soccer if you are like 10 percent faster 10 percent um, if you have like a bit uh, your shoot is 10 percent better better header uh, and so on you can get not like uh, 50% or 100% higher salary, but your salary will be 1,000 times more, okay? You will not get like, let's say $1,000 per month, but you will get 1 million mm -hmm. per, per month. That, that, that's like a difference. So there are some disciplines where small edges transfer into like a huge increases in, uh, in, in salaries. Because like, I imagine like Ronaldo is not like, uh, 1,000 1, times faster than like a guy from some like regional soccer club, but more like, let's say 10 times, 10% or 20% faster than him. And like in most of the categories, he will be like 10, 20% better. But if you combine all of that, it's, you know, it's, it's worth 
1,000 times more like salary mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, per month. And, and I think poker is much closer to, to soccer in, in that ex- uh, in that. Um, area than than to picking strawberries yeah Uh, so definitely uh, that yeah (laughs) yeah so so, so here it's some some small edges if you are a bit better like pre-flop a bit better on the flop a bit Mm -hmm. better with sizings with statistics with tilt control with uh, organizing your time and all that stuff like in total it can transfer to having like 100 times higher salary than other players right no i think poker is in fact even closer to sports like golf or tennis where you actually earn the bulk of your income comes from participating in the tournaments and the prize money basically because in, in football you still get your salary right because we see for example somebody gets injured for like one and a half years but they still have two year contract well guess what they're still getting two years uh, mm-hmm. of the salary right in in golf and tennis you're out you're out that's it. Obviously, the successful people there also make money from sponsorship deals and all the other deals. But you know, if we talk purely the sports income, poker probably is closer to those types of individual sports where the money comes from from winning competitively, right? Right. Interesting. Interesting. What do you think are like the biggest misconceptions about poker that people who get into the game they might have some idea about what they're going to be facing in with uh, or what they're going to be facing and it's far from reality i think uh, from what i'm talking sometimes with with my friends um, who know very little about the poker i think the main misconception that is poker is so much about like cheating and treating other it's all about tricking other people and in order to win money you have to be tricky so you have to like you know call aces pre-flop race with like weak hands like you know to to just do always the opposite of the the hand that that you have and i always give him like hold them example because usually they play holders i say okay you raise pre-flop aces you play against calling station the board is like queen five deuce eight deuce let's say and you triple barrel aces and you like shove all in on the on the river and they call you with king queen and and you win were you tricky and they said no okay you demonstrated strength pre-flop you demonstrated strength on the flop turn and river and you won the money and if you will be like you know trying to slow play and so on you will just get a third of his stack not the full stack so the poker is not about being tricky but you know, sometimes you have to be tricky, but it's about just finding the way to, you know, be the most profitable to to win the most money. And I think that's something that, like, beginners don't get. <laughs> right. Interesting. Another thing that comes to my mind is poker as a profession. It's so unstructured by external factors. There's no nine to five. There's no boss. There's nobody to tell you, hey, you know what? Now is the time you need to work. Now is the time you need to study. Now is the time you need to analyze your game. There's none of that. So basically, there's everybody who gets into it at some point, they start with like a blank page and they fill that page themselves. What do you think are the biggest mistakes people make in this regard by planning their week, planning their day? 
what are the things that sort of hold people back the most? Oh, like finding the right rhythm of the day, finding the right plan of the day. I think it's one of the most important things actually. And, and, uh, uh, there are a couple of, of big mis- mistakes. I think um, one of the main ones that I, I'm, I was dealing with as a, as a mental game coach is to perceive any form of planning as a, a limitation of their freedom. So a lot of poker players, they choose poker because they value freedom and independence. And these are one of their main values. And when they start planning or getting a bit more organized or disciplined, they perceive that as a limitation to their freedom. So the value that they choose poker for in the in the first place. And I see a lot of conflicts here with the like willingness of, of planning in the first place. If somebody wants to find uh, their perfect rhythm of the day or at least very good rhythm or plan of the day, then sooner or later he will find it by testing, reading, and so on. As I said, planning for poker players, it's not that complex as for other professions. We don't have to combine that many different types of uh, activities and projects. And the main activity of our day is just the session that it's usually between like four to six hours, seven hours. And it's usually like in um, one streak or with like some shorter breaks. So it's really not that easy to organize a day uh, around it. The more difficult thing is if somebody is you know, willing to plan his day in, in the first place. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. People are averse to planning because they feel like it goes against the idea of freedom. And uh, in fact, if you plan your day carefully, all you get is freedom, right? Because if you plan it in such a way where you don't have to always make a decision, because like a lot of people suffer with Oh, should I play now? Should I not play now? Can I go for dinner? Can I not go for dinner? You know, all the time, like these thoughts of like, oh, what should I do? Is it okay? You know, it's not a very enjoyable life. If you know that your hours are these hours and somebody says, hey, you want to go hang out? No, I can't. I'm working right now. We can go like two hours later. And then you go with this freedom emotionally with no baggage of like oh, i should have played the games were good etc cetera, etc cetera. especially for the mid stakes and low stakes people you know whenever somebody's telling me especially at the low stakes and even mid stakes right oh i i had to play like i i played uh, because there was this fish it was just a you know an incredible opportunity like what are you talking about this fish or another fish is going to be every day there's going to be a situation like this you know, this is not some sort of once in a lifetime opportunity. You might think it is, but it's not. Right. And a lot of people are sort of, you know, basing their day based on these external factors of like, oh, I absolutely must play. There's this huge whale. It's true for high stakes. Some days, some days there's this huge whale, and yeah, you, you're going to have to play. But um, just because, you know, the next time you see him might be in like six months or nine months, but that's not the case for lower stakes. Yes, exactly. And and this way, 
these players may not have enough of other activities like um, to go for a walk, to go for the gym, to go for, for running. It's very important to, to have this other activities that will help you to stay fresh during the session and with the uh, right amount of energy you cannot sacrifice that just mm. uh, for the for the fish unless as you said it's like a high stakes and it's like a very rare opportunity but it doesn't happen on lower stakes exactly and also one aspect of freedom that people misunderstand just because you have freedom of time doesn't mean your life is free you know because if you're wasting that time like all your free time you're just wasting on some bullshit activities or worse yet you have that free time but your mind is not free because you're still really much very much stuck in that last session that you played and it's still on your mind and whatever you're doing you're still thinking about it especially it's a lot of people get into this mindset when they had a bad session, right? Then these bad emotions, bad thoughts, they stick to them and they don't enjoy whatever other activities they're doing. You know, they might be having a dinner with friends or with their spouse or anything, you know, or they go to a cinema, watch a movie, but in fact, they're not even watching it. They're thinking about whatever happened. This is such a big thing that hurts your freedom. Because sure, you have free time, but you're not really free. So all the things like routines and um, you know proper plan, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that really helps you with with these things. At least from my experience, I know for me it was very important to, you know, I already gave you this example of you know realizing that I have to leave the work at work and switch off for the rest of the day. Yeah, there is definitely a paradox inside of like being disciplined versus uh, versus uh, like freedom. So let's imagine that you have somebody graduating from university and somebody who wants to have like unlimited freedom and just works very little, going to a lot of parties, no responsibilities, no discipline. What will actually happen is that this person in his like low 30s will not have his own flat and will have to like uh, rent a flat will probably work very like shitty job and uh, in this job he will be dependent on the employer he will not have like enough money to go for vacation so he will not have a freedom of 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 choice he, he cannot choose if he can work or not because he has to because he doesn't have any financial liquidity so actually like choosing freedom for a couple of years will usually lead to having like no freedom at all uh, in uh, when you are older and on the opposite side if somebody chooses to really focus on the career be, be like super disciplined let's say like soccer player who is like has to be super disciplined in his 20s and then when he retires about 35 years he can like no longer work anymore and he has a freedom of going to like anywhere in the world like going for holidays having beautiful house and and everything so there is always a paradox inside like every this kind of uh, psychological problem well and there's always a price to pay any decision you make there's a price you know the decision to watch netflix um for a full week it doesn't doesn't mean it's a bad decision you want to do it sure do it but you have to realize there's a price 
you know, for a poker player, it's very easy to just get into these unproductive things because there is no commitment. There is nobody waiting for you at work, right? So it's much easier to just basically keep doing some bullshit, but there's a price and you're going to have to pay it. So yeah, that's something to remember. Yeah, I heard that Arnold Schwarzenegger said once something like, you can achieve anything you want in your life if you are willing to pay price for it. And I t- totally agree. Maybe not, you know, anything, but, but you know, close to that. You can you can really achieve a lot or almost anything that that that, that you want. But at a, sometimes the, the cost can be, you know, so high that if you calculate it, okay, you can decide. I don't want to really uh, achieve that mm. thing. And I want exactly. to go for, for, let's say, less, but be more happy, have like, no better relationship, more friends, better health and and, and so Mm, on. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also it like relates to poker in a way that, you know, whenever we think about success in poker, the visible one, of course, is, you know, the people who achieved uh, the most at the high stakes and are are there, et cetera, et cetera. But that's not the only way to achieve success. You know, the price that people at the highest stakes have to pay in terms of the sacrifice they need to make with their time, with their life, you know, it's a steep price. You don't need to do that. You can achieve very comfortable level with the mistakes, with not so much stress, with not so much um, in terms of, you know, how you need to invest in your studies, et cetera, et cetera. So there's different levels to success. And every level has its own price, in a way. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right. What else? I think we covered a lot of topics, a lot of good stuff. Uh, anything else comes to your mind that we, we should address today? Uh, I think there are two topics that comes to my mind. Discipline and I would like to talk a bit about the motivation. So earlier I mentioned that motivation is something that is very, very individual. And I really very rarely speak about this topic before I mentioned that I probably like made over like 300 or 400 mental game podcasts or videos for some Polish uh, poker sites. But I don't know, maybe there was like one or two on motivation. Mm -hmm. And and this is because it's so individual and, and people really don't get it, especially when it comes to like procrastination and, and and so on usually like uh, most of people think that what they need is more motivation so if we use the metaphor of a car they need that they, they think that they need like more acceleration now they need more speed mm-hmm. but usually this is not the case usually there is a break that is like stopping that is something that is that is stopping them like handbrake that's why like most of the let's call this motivational like events you know motiva- motivational speeches they simply don't work in the in the long term because each individual with um, sort of like mental game conflict uh, on a like motivational conflict will have some forces that uh, trying to push him to do this and some forces that are stopping him. And if you go for this kind of like event, you are getting a lot of forces that are pushing you to do something. 
So probably after that, you feel very motivated and you will be like very productive, very resourceful for next next, uh, couple of days. But after one or two weeks, everything will come back to the reality. And again, your like forces that are pushing you and forces that are stopping you will be more or less like at the at the at the same level, and you will face the same problems that you were facing before because you didn't like solve the underlying problem. And what will happen is that people will think, okay, so I need a solution, so I need like more speeches, more trainings, this kind of more like motivational, you know, uh, kind of like entertaining like speeches. They will even think bad about themselves. So they'll think, okay, so there is something wrong with me. I cannot find motivation in myself. I need external sources for that. And that's, you know, something that hits their their feeling of like self-worth. And that that's definitely something really bad. So that's kind of like a temporary solution. And usually the long-term solution is to really meet somebody like, I don't know, a coach, psychologist, or good uh, psychotherapist with whom you can really talk about the topic and get to the real reasons why you are like procrastinating. Because usually you have a reason, you have like an additional benefit of not doing something. And this way by by really understanding this this like reasons you will like achieve achieve uh, much more than by looking for like motivational like you know tools or or techniques for example in the past i, I remember that i struggled a lot with uh, sort of like s- simple house like works like to fix something you know <laughs> change something you know like uh, using a drill machine or uh, anything like that i I definitely have a like in in this area i'd like completely like fixed mindset i'm not good at that you know i'm not i don't have a talent i would not do that whenever there was a situation where i had to do something in the, the the house or the flat i would always procrastinate it and never never like you know do it i would always postpone it or to something else and it's not something that you can really fix with like any kind of like motivational motivational speech so at some point i i, I realized that this is because of how like uh, my childhood looks so my father was like wonderful person but he was had this <laughs> one thing that that um, he was like super perfectionist and he would very often give like to me and my brother some sort of like a a task that was almost like very hard to handle or impossible to handle and we wouldn't do that and then he would come like you know criticize us and do it himself like in 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 a very good way so i would associate doing this small housework with like being criticized with being not accepted, you know, rejected with with kind of like quarrels, bad atmosphere and so mm. on. So only when I realized that I could like start working with 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 that you know issue and and uh, and and solve it, but I had to really get like you know deep and also understand like my father's you know motivations that 
he would like be like for example his self worth self worth will depend a lot on being resourceful and like you know being productive being resourceful for the like family so he would like provoke the situations where uh, he would like uh, give me and my brother the task that we cannot do so that he would provoke the situation where he would be like resourceful in the eyes of other family members mm-hmm. you know he can like uh, so that uh, his quality that it's so important for him can be like visible to to everybody like else in the in the family so when i understood all of that i it actually made it uh, much easier for for me to motivate myself to this kind of like small <laughs> um uh, house uh, house works and this is kind of like example like how how it's much better and how on much deeper level it's it's better to work with motivation and how i don't like like to covering this kind of topics in the the book because it's so hard to cover this uh, in the book it has to be really adjusted very individually to 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 every every person right yeah interesting and you're right yeah it's probably the topic where it's the most individual for me personally there's one thing that i um I believe, and I don't, well, that's going to sound sensationalist and that's not what really I mean, but like in a way, motivation is overrated when it comes to doing the work. You know, I see it as um, if we think about, you know, a poker player who waits for the motivation to strike him to start playing a session, right? Oh, I want to play a session. I'm going to play a session. If that's the only process, it's a bit like a writer who is waiting for a muse before he starts writing, right? It might never fucking happen. What you need to do is is you need to set up the processes, the routines that basically, you know, your day starts at that time and it ends at that time. Do you have the motivation or not? That's not important. You You better do the work, right? So for a true professional they take that motivation out of the equation, right? That's why the routines, that's why, and we're going to talk about the discipline next, but these are the things that sort of tackle this problem of lack of motivation. Oh, I don't feel like playing poker today. Well, guess what? You're going to have to play poker today because that's what you planned, so you better execute, right? And the example that you mentioned with the small tasks like you know drilling a hole in the wall or cleaning the garage or whatever things that can always be postponed and you procrastinate and you find all sorts of excuses not to do them you don't schedule these things you don't have routines in place which force you to do it well it never gets done you know and i can speak from my experience here totally because you know i recently relocated to my new house i still have like um so I set up my office perfectly, like the the working space where I'm facing the wall. It's all clean and neat, and uh, it's just the most productive environment. If I turn around and look at the rest of the room, there's still a couple boxes that need to be, you know, moved away and uh, things un- unpacked. And you know, I'm kind of deliberating: should I even bother unpacking them or just fucking throw it out? I don't even know what's there. But if I, you know, I've been here for almost two months well yeah two months and uh, still didn't touch those boxes maybe i don't need them really 
anyway, I went off on a tangent there, but um, yeah, I think, you know, with the motivation, having the routines, having the procedures that make you do the work, eliminate some of those triggers for procrastinating, triggers for not getting into it. Do you agree with this or or do you think that that's not really the case? Yeah, this is the concept also from the power of habit. Actually, it's very important for us to to have some habits and there is a concept of so-called keystone habits. Mm-hmm. So habits that if you follow this habit, it actually started it starts like the whole chain of another habits that is, you know, follow following this habit. So for example, if you start running, it's very likely that at some point you will say to yourself, okay, I started running, so it's so much effort. So it makes no sense for me to eat all these donuts and pizzas. So maybe I'll start reading something about healthy, you know, diet and I'll start eating more healthy. And then you started eating more healthy and running. So then, okay, so maybe I'll get some good sleep as well, yeah? And it's already like, you know, three things just followed by like, by like one habit. And it's very often, it, it works like this. If you like just implement one very important habit, a lot of like other habits are, are uh, following this. So for poker, one of this kind of keystone habits for me uh, was always uh, pre-session routine. I was also playing a lot with with the the, the pre-session routine. So very often the the, the pre-session routine will, uh, for me, consist of some breathing exercises, some sort of mental game uh, preparation, and um, uh, preparing everything on the, the desktop, listening to, to some uh, music that will put me to the uh, right mood uh, for the game. So that would be like one thing that will be followed by many habits that will, you know, prepare me very good in terms of mental game for the, for the session. So yeah, so with all the motivation, I, I think it's it's like, very good to put our energy to implement like the, the keystone habits that are the most important for our daily routine and so so that other good habits will will be will be followed by by, by this for example also if i have this meal delivery service i'm eating like very healthy i'm eating regularly i don't have to worry about like not having uh, meal i can just go to the fridge and 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 take it out so that's like a lot of things followed by just one keystone habit Mm -hmm. yeah it's a good point it's a very good point and especially like with the pre-session uh warm-up or the pre-session routine it also helps you to put your mind in this specific place you know as with you know some music can uh, put you in the mindset the right mindset, you know, the state of flow or whatever you want to call it. And even, you know, it's interesting, you've mentioned this uh, food delivery thing several times and it's, um, it's really interesting, you know, because I mean, obviously eating well is very important for anyone, you know, but uh, I don't want to say especially for poker players because really for anyone, it's, it's important, clearly. 
yet so many poker players sort of get into this routine of like whatever eating junk food you know frozen pizzas nonstop, and and all the bullshit and it's ridiculous because especially like you can afford a meal delivery service or whatever your solution is going to be you can afford it so it's not the problem of finance it's the problem of just the lack of realization that hey this is a big part this is a big part if you treat it long term again same same comes to every decision has a price right and i see it in a very acute form uh, whenever i go to vegas i used to go for and i mean the other destinations as well but especially vegas and here's why so i used to go for let's say 3 we, uh, 3 months at the time right the whole summer and just play uh, in the Bellagio for three months, Bellagio or Ari or whatever. And in the beginning, everybody's fresh, everybody's focused on their game, et cetera, et cetera. You know? And then you look towards the end of the state, towards the end of the summer, you see that some people, all it took was just one week and they have completely destroyed their routines. They are exhausted, they're playing bad, etc., etc. For some people, it's a month. For some people, it's two months. But many people, and I was one of those people in the first year when I went for this marathon, uh, huge uh, like three-month thing in Vegas, the first year towards the end of, of the stay, I was completely burned out. My health suffered like properly. I was it was just horrible. You know, I, I learned from that experience, luckily, you know, and and the next year I was very diligent about how to structure my days, how to get enough sleep, how to make sure that I eat well and I have proper rest time, I switch off enough, I have enough days off. But it's just so easy to get into this bad routine of not realizing that what you're doing is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's not about this one session. It's not about this crazy fish who's not going to be there tomorrow because chances are he's going to be there tomorrow. But uh, by you playing 16-hour days, seven days in a row, maybe you're not even profitable anymore at the table. right? And for me, I remember like that first year when it happened to me specifically, I was crushing the games and I was running really good so I was making a lot of money and it felt like oh and you just need to keep playing and just put in the long sessions put in the long sessions well after three months you know that when I decided okay this is going to be my last session I still had three or four days left in Vegas and I thought well I'm just going to relax for four days I'm going to go see some shows enjoy some dinner I ended up on the couch in the house that I was renting on the couch for four days just watching TV because I, I couldn't even think about going out. I had zero energy. And it happens so often to people. Wow. Three months in Vegas, pretty yeah, sick. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I used to do, do a thing like that quite often because, you know, for, uh, for a large period of my career, I want to say I focused on the live games mostly, right? I would play uh, the highest stakes that I could get into throughout the year you know basically traveling like five six months a year for for games and online for me was more of a training ground right so i, I spent a long time just playing 500 zoom online uh, just because it's so easy to put in the volume and if you treat it as a training if you treat it as a testing ground for you know improving your game zoom is great right 
and um, yeah, so that that's what I was was doing for for quite a long stretch yeah, of my career. Yeah, so so the, the problem that that you like highlighted here is that treating poker as performance activity, and I think it's very important. In poker, the good thing about the poker is that we know which people are the best in general, and we can invite them to like podcasts, as I mentioned, like podcasts with this uh, Alex mm-hmm. Foxen guy, or uh, like top cash cash game players like uh, Souls or guys like that, and we can learn from them. And we can already see how much stress do they put to increasing their performance by sleeping well, by eating well, by taking care about their health in in general. I also worked a lot with professional traders. And trust me, traders have no idea about that. When I talk about this, they're like, what? (laughs) So... If I sleep better, eat better, it will have impact on my right. trading. Because they really? probably thought it's just <laughs> the quality of the Coke that they're consuming is, is what sets them apart. Right? It's it's just, you know, it's 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 like it's, they cannot believe mm. it. And because in trading, results are not public. So it's very hard to know which people are the best. So they are not like, you know, podcasts with, with the best traders and so on. It's very, very few things like this. And because of that, they don't know how to you know learn the the good practices. Um, so so that's you know a completely different story. But I think it's very important to realize that poker is a performance activity. So it requires on our performance. So we can think about increasing our performance and structuring and organizing the day the way that during the session or during other activities that are very important for us, our performance would be the highest. By having very good sleep, this is the most important thing. Sleep is by far more important than anything. And then, of course, by having healthy lifestyle, uh, fresh air, sport, diet, supplements, and so on. But sleep is you know, by far the, the most important uh, mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't argue with that. That's obviously, obviously the case. You know, and how easy it is to, and everybody was there, I think, at one point in a poker career where, you know, the sleep is secondary to the, oh, there's the fish available. But hey, you know what, if you're there only for one day, if one day is all you have, sure. But if you're planning to actually play the whole year, again, price to pay. Yeah, exactly. I have also similar experience to you when it comes to live festivals. So first, like couple festivals that I, I came, I was also like you know grinding, uh, grinding a lot, not putting a lot of stress to 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 the you know sleep and and recovery, and I felt like you know very bad at the end. I felt totally like burned out without energy, and then I had to like sleep for like one week to to fully recover. Now I have completely different approach and I take care much more about the sleep, uh, health, um, good food, uh, supplements and so on. And of course, it's much easier in some places than, than the others. And I think it's definitely tougher in Vegas than, than, than in Europe, like uh, the, the cuisine in the US. There's just much more fat in mm. uh, 
all, all, all these things, but you still can manage through that. And there are also some, I heard about some healthy meal delivery services uh, for poker players in Vegas. There are for sure enough good restaurants. So, so you can, it's harder than in Europe, but still, if you, if you are, you know, smart enough, prepared enough, you can, you can like Absolutely. deal with that. And one thing you said about it's harder in Vegas I want to talk about it a bit uh, from another perspective, right? Because of course, the things you've mentioned about the quality of the food, et cetera, et cetera, it's a challenge, right? It's a bit harder because it's less readily available, but it's all available there. And like you've mentioned, there's the food delivery services. There's plenty of incredible restaurants, uh, a taxi drive away, or if you have a car, then you know just a short drive away. So it's not really a problem. It's just the decision you have to make of, okay, I'm, I'm skipping the crappy food that they have here at the offering. I'm just going to go have it somewhere else, right? But another aspect about Vegas is most people don't go, especially from Europe, they don't go just for one week. You would go for a longer time, right? So you're facing the challenges of you have to stay disciplined, you have to have your routines, etc., etc. But you're also there with other people. Most people who go to Vegas, they rarely go alone. They know at least somebody else right? So you end up hanging out with these people. And it's pretty hard to stay disciplined and focused and true professional in a group of people who are anything but, right? So in many ways, the problem of Vegas is that the group pressure of making the bad decisions in terms of, you know, going for a party after your session or, or stuff like that, you know, this is what hurts a lot of people. Like in my own experience, I found a group of people that I really like, good friends of mine, that we usually rent the house together when we go to Vegas. And our house is a pretty weird house for poker players because basically we're home early. We start our session super early. We're home early. We might have a dinner together. We would go to a restaurant or something. There's not much alcohol, maybe like, you know, a glass of wine. Well, you know, a bottle of wine occasionally. That's about it. If you compare it to many other poker player houses in Vegas during summer, uh, we are like the grandpas of uh, poker, like really low key. But the reality is, all of us hugely motivated to perform, not just on a one day basis, but for the whole trip. You know, you're there for a month, you're there for two months. Well, you are thinking about how am I going to perform for these two months? How am I going to be able to, you know, have proper routine that helps me actually achieve things? Yeah, just wanted to add that I think it's super important, your, in general, your environment and the people who are surrounding you. It's, uh, I remember that I think in 2013 or 14, like, six, seven years ago, I used to be in like a, let's say, mid-stakes PLO study group. And the people there would only post like biggest hands of the session, mostly like bad beats or big bluffs, mostly like being happy about the good session or complaining about the variance, nothing really very, very useful. So in this kind of environment, your mindset is focused like just on the result, just on the bad beat, just on the variance. And it's very easy to really like switch into, into that thinking and making your mental game like um, similar to, to that. 
So it's very important to surround yourself uh, with uh, people at the mental game level that you would like to that you would like to be. Okay, as you said, for example, people very performance oriented. That would be like uh, one example, or people with very similar goals, similar attitude to to life, to poker, mm, to you. Absolutely, yeah. And it's true for live poker. It's true for online poker. It's it's true in life in general. I mean, you eventually, you know, become who you hang out with, right? Your friends influence in many ways the the way that you know your life is shaped. And I actually had this conversation recently with Ben CB, and I think with Jane Anders as well. We touched upon it. it's like you know at, at some points in your life you have to sort of rearrange the, the people you hang out with, right? Because some relationships are just not productive. And, you know, we're lucky when we we always have the same group of people around us and we all grow together. But people change and, you know, you have to make these decisions. And in poker, you know, especially when we talk about, you know, the life trips or, or the study groups, et cetera, et cetera, it's important to be objective of whether you know you help each other really in in uh, pushing yourself to to a good direction right because for example the Ben CB story was that you know he's working with uh, you know Stefan and uh, Feder and uh, look where they got right the whole group and it's not a coincidence Right when you're pushing each other, when you're really motivating each other, and you know that's that's a beautiful thing to strive for. Because, like you know, the the problem with well, it's not a problem, but the thing with poker is a lot of people see it as purely individualistic sport. It's just you, okay? You might maybe your coach, maybe you know that's it, but not really. I mean, the people around you are hugely important. Even if you don't talk strategy necessarily, just seeing the examples of how other people approach the profession, how other people mm, approach the whole thing, you know, it's hugely beneficial and really, really important. <laughs> yeah, that was mistake that I was making for like seven first seven years of my career. <laughs> I realized maybe at like late 2017 or something that poker is so much about the, it's not like a team sport, but sometimes almost like a team sport and so important, like the, the people uh, around you, like the, the mutual cooperation mm. and so on. Yeah, so so yeah, totally agree. Yeah. Well, let's talk about discipline, right? Um, you mm-hmm. said that you want to talk about discipline, so go ahead, <laughs> start with discipline. Uh, it's such a great topic to talk about. Yeah, I think I once heard a very good metaphor that applies to discipline, that discipline is like um, electricity. So you can have the best equipment in your house, like TV, refrigerator, PC, but without electricity, uh, without electricity, nothing of that will work. And the same is, I think, with discipline. So you can have the best ideas, the best resources, the best books, uh, you can buy yourself the best like training equipment or anything, but without discipline, it all just will, will not work. So I think it's so important to, to, to focus sometimes on how to be more disciplined um, as a person. Like, honestly, I think that also chapter about the discipline in my book is 
I think is is like the 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 most valuable. And to me, if I would like pick like the best chapter of the book, I would, I would pick this one. I, I feel like really strong in in this topic. Of course, we can we can talk uh, we can talk um, a lot about this. But one concept that I would like to bring here and and leave for the viewers is that according to the most up to date uh, like scientific research discipline works very similar to a muscle so muscle can get exhausted can get tired and the same is like discipline if we push ourselves too hard if we have too much discipline we will get exhausted and tired and we will not have like enough energy but also muscles can get stronger. So also we can increase our level of discipline. For example, there has been a lot of studies where there was like a group of uh, chain smokers and one of the smokers, uh, one of the group will like do just nothing. <laughs> and the second group will have to be involved in some sort of activity that requires discipline like every day 15 minutes of some sort of physical exercises and let's say after one month um, if we compared all the two groups the group that performed this 15 minute exercises every day performed much better in uh, clinical tests of um, of discipline and a couple of them not all of them but a couple of them like quit smoking also, there was like another study where a group of people, and that's like very interesting study, where a group of people were involved in like monthly exercise program, but it, it was actually quite hard program that required quite a lot of discipline. And what happened is, is that after one month, they, the researcher, uh, researchers found out that these people not only were more fit, but they started eating more healthy. They started reading more books. They started sleeping better. They started um, saving uh, more money. So they started to implementing a lot of other habits related with discipline. And this leads us to believe that discipline can be strengthened. And if you are like, you know, if you are getting more discipline, then, you know, you have your muscle of discipline is, is just stronger. And you need to like, learn how to use your muscle of 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 discipline and actually i'm like really like to do that so for example for me physical exercises to plan the whole training and to execute that is quite demanding activity so what i do is i hire a personal trainer who will do that for me he will plan the whole training for me he will like keep an eye on me and everything and so that I don't have to use my resources of discipline during the training and I can keep my discipline for the session where I will need it the most. Also, because I have this meal delivery system, I don't have to use my discipline for being disciplined about the shopping, about the cooking, uh, you know, washing dishes and everything. And I don't have to really uh, focus on that. For example, there was also a research at um, one hospital um, that showed that medical staff is washing their hands less and less often throughout the day. So let's say during the first couple of hours, they, they wash hands enough frequently you know, as they should. 
but as the day comes to an end, they are washing less and less frequently. And this results in their hands not being clean enough at the end of their like uh, shift. So what this like hospital did is they put some stickers, reminders next to sinks, reminding them about the proper rules of um, washing hands. And this way they kind of like outsource the discipline from their minds. They don't have to think more about this, but they have a sticker that is reminding them about the washing hands and their frequency like, you know, became like normal, the, 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 the way that, that it should be. And we can use a lot of small tricks like this to like be more disciplined and to preserve our resources of discipline for uh, and to, to keep it during the session. And this is also very important during the downswing. Downswing is a period of time that is the most exhausting for our, our discipline because downswing is it's, it's really tough. So during the downswing, our discipline muscle is, is like the most vulnerable. So when some people say during a tough time that you need to take some break, Actually, they may be right in a sense that, because usually break like doesn't change that much, but actually sometimes it can be a good solution because your discipline muscle can be so exhausted that you need to recharge your discipline muscle by having a couple of days break. N not exactly like, you know, in terms of your physical state, but exactly your, your discipline muscle. And the same is what, professional let's say soccer players uh, say very often that they want to have like one or two weeks break not exactly um, due to like physical aspects because uh, some soccer players they can be like you know even playing more matches than they are playing but they need a break from this uh, training program from this like constant pressure and constant discipline that they have to wake up at specific hours eat at specific hours train at specific hours uh, you know sleep going for massage and everything everything is planned you know from the from the morning to the evening so it takes a lot of like you know a lot of energy and they need sometimes break you know from from that mental effort that uh, they have to put every every day and i think that's something that could be applied in in poker in many many different ways mm -hmm. yeah and especially what you said about the downswing uh it's so true uh with the discipline all the willpower or whatever we're gonna call it but you know you get that muscle tired as you said and it's not something that manifests itself visibly. You might not realize that that's happening, but it's happening, you know, and for, because, you know, for a lot of people during the downswing, especially, it's so easy to see when their resilience sort of is, is getting lower and lower, right? When it just takes one trigger to put, put them on, like first it starts for some people who are strong with their mental game, but you know, at some point they reach a point where they would be like, ah, oh, this is bullshit. Like, uh, another flip and I lost another flip and that's how it somehow hurts them, right? The first 10 flips didn't hurt them. That 11th starts hurting because that muscle of, you know, staying true to the process and not caring about the results 
it already was involved like 10 times before. And then 11th time sort of, you know, puts you in, in a position where you're, you're exhausted. And it's, it's definitely a time to quit. Right. And I know that. Yeah. This is probably what happened with Phil Galfond oh, yeah. in the, the Galfond challenge. He was like, you know, handling this, this mm -hmm. downswing very, very well. And it's like, you know, nine session, 10 session, 11 session. And at some point, Okay, it's enough. His his muscle was so exhausted by handling this uh, this streak of of losses that he said, "Okay, yeah, it's enough. Absolutely. I need a break." And uh, it's it's a good point that it's great that you brought up Phil Galfon, right? Because you know we're talking about these things and all all the discipline and motivation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I want people to understand that we still face the same problems ourselves as well. It's just we are able to handle them in a very efficient manner, right? So they don't become a problem. Because like I know from myself, like this example of, um, you know, when I mentioned the 10, 10 flips and then you get the 11th, it happened to me recently. You know, I, I had a pretty bad run um, probably last week. Yeah, so it was a pretty horrible session. Uh, and the one, one of the sessions where there was a huge fish at the high stakes game. So I have to keep playing. I'm going to keep playing. And I was really good with handling everything, like all the crazy two-outers and whatever happened. And then I catched myself in the moment when I realized, you know what? One flip hurt me emotionally. I was like, shit, why did I get upset? It's just a flip, right? I just lost a flip. Not a big deal. We run it twice. I lose it twice. It's, it's not a big deal. And I realized, okay, it's because it's the 11th. But the reality is it doesn't matter if it's the first or the hundredth or the thousandth. Right? It doesn't matter. It's just a flip. So what I had to do, or what I did, is I immediately sit out for one orbit. You know, I, I get get a glass of uh, water, do some stretching, and back to the game. I'm totally fine. But my experience helped me do this because I was aware enough mid-game to realize, hey, this just happened. I was emotionally influenced by this flip. It shouldn't happen. This is bullshit. And I realized this is the moment when I need to take a break. For a lot of people who are not at that stage, you know, they don't recognize that, okay, this is the time when I need this break. And that's where the problem arises because, you know, you go from slightly emotionally uncomfortable with that, with that one extra lost flip to more emotionally uncomfortable to, in the end, on like complete rage and monkey tilt, right? So it's important not to allow yourself to get there. And it's, yeah, like you said, it's it's great that Phil recognized it. Maybe he recognized it too late. Maybe, you know, we don't know. But it's interesting that this is all public, you know, and we can see, well, everybody can see how how things are happening and how these people are handling these swings. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because also, you know, one funny thing to me is that how many people just basically focus, and we, we already talked about it, but so many people focus on, oh, Phil is just bad, Phil is bad, etc., etc. The reality is everybody going to have bad stretches. And I'm not even getting into discussion of who's a better player, who has an edge. That's not important. Even if we would assume that they are, you know, breaking even against each other, which they're probably not, but... Even if we would assume, still, swings are going to happen. You're going to be losing. How you are going to handle it is part of the game. It's part of what makes you a strong player. You know, Phil got to where he is 
because he was strong mentally throughout, right? And I, I know Vinny personally, I know that he had some really sick swings in his life as well. So I'm sure that if he was on the receiving end of the bad swing, he would handle it very good as well. Yeah, the, the, this is like handling tough situations is 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 definitely like um, one of the toughest and uh, one of the most important things in the poker career, but also the thing that can uh, give you so much strength and so much confidence. I've spoken with so many players who suffered like a huge downswings in the past. And what they very often say is after that is that they say that, okay, I went through the downswing and I know that nothing will break me. I know that uh, I'm much more confident. I'm much more stronger now because I already know that even if something like this will happen in the future, I know that mm. I can deal with that. And that's like a huge thing. If you can have like this deep belief in yourself that even though this downswing can come, you will still manage to 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 deal with that so so that's something you know that's and and like for people like the biggest wins are like tournament swings or like big cash game swings but to be honest throughout our all career the biggest wins will be the wins that we win with our weaknesses and we win with our like the toughest times and even though it's hard we still like uh, go through it and we we come back stronger than 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 before that's actually like the biggest mm. wins that, that yeah we can especially uh, on a achieve. personal level like these experiences you know mold you hopefully you know if you come out on top in these experiences if you learn from them then they mold you into a stronger more capable person whatever you pursue you know for people who uh, start mm -hmm. pursuing career outside poker eventually this whole experience really is useful in many many fields out there right listen uh let's check how about so can people still buy your book yeah it's uh, available through uh round once and on amazon and uh, it will be soon or it is already i'm not sure available as ebook because like the the, the couple of people messaged me that uh delivery outside the outside the, the us it's it's uh, almost uh, mm -hmm. the price of the book so uh, very soon we'll have ebook or it's um, the problem with 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 uh, rent once is that uh, that they have this like big project of rent once poker which of course is more important for for them than than a book and because of that uh, some some things they that they go a bit uh, you know slower than than they should but i, I think from what I know from from also uh, Rio manager is that uh, uh, now they will more focus on like some other projects including books so I think that they, they, they will push it and this all right sounds good so soon. yeah I'll, I'll drop uh, the link in the description to your book so that people can easily find it your website right where else can people find you actually where are you present yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm having my website, but I'm not offering like now any 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 coachings or or anything, anything like that. I'm also like available on uh, social media, Facebook and Instagram, and but I'm not really that active since like I don't know for last uh, half a year. As I told you before, right now I'm I'm focused uh, more on the 
um, on the poker and I find like uh, social media activity uh, sometimes a bit like you know <laughs> it's 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 uh, just uh, taking um, a, a lot of my time but uh, yeah th- mm. these are the places that uh, people yeah. can can find me cool yeah I'll definitely put all the links to, to your stuff and your social media down there and I totally can relate to you uh, feeling that the social media presence is a bit too much sometimes, you know, because again, it takes so much time. And in the end, if if you if you try to focus on poker primarily, uh, yeah, any any time that you put elsewhere, again, you know, every decision has a price. It's a recurring theme here. All right, cool. Listen, man, it was such a pleasure to talk to you. I really appreciate that you took uh, all this time. I mean, we talked for three hours. Uh, very interesting conversation. I'm really glad we made it happen. Yeah, uh, thank you. Thank you as well. Thank you for inviting yeah. me to the podcast. And uh, pretty sure yeah, we we'll see each other we'll at the tables. Other from at time the tables to time. That's for sure. Uh, if you have anything you want to reach out to me, you know, you have my uh, contacts now. I'd be happy to reconnect. And uh, if I can help you in any way, let me know. Yeah, it's just just really a pleasure to to talk about these things and all the topics. You know, so so important and. Um, I can only wish you best of luck in, uh, you know, focusing on poker. It's good to hear uh, that you're doing this because that's what I'm doing as well. <laughs> so let's let's do this. 